A reading from Matthew 26, 30 through 56. <clears throat> and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with, with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, <clears throat> he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to be praying from uh, Psalm 119. If you want to turn there, Psalm 119, I'll start in just verse um, 89. Psalm 119, verse 89. Just be praying uh, from God's Word. Your Word, O Lord, is eternal and it stands firm in the heavens. 
Your faithfulness, O God, it continues throughout all times, throughout all generations, and you have established the earth, and the earth endures. Just as you, your heavens are eternal and the earth endures, so, God, your, your law endures to this day, and all things serve you. God, if, if your word had not been my delight, had not been our delight, God, I pray that it would be our delight. And we would have been perished. We would have perished in our affliction, God. We, we will not forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved our life. God, save us. Save us, dear God, for we are yours. We have sought out your precepts. And, and the wicked, they are waiting to destroy us. But, but God, we, in the midst of all of that, we will stand and we will ponder your statutes and your word, which is what we will do right now, God. To all perfection, I, we see a limit, God, but your commands are boundless, Father, and your word is so rich And true and beautiful, Father, I pray that you would make it alive to us. That your Spirit would move through us. And cause us to wake from our slumber. And hate the sin that we so often delight in, God. Could you do that? Do that work through this word, these very moments. Amen. As if uh, middle school isn't awkward and difficult enough for all of humanity, um, towards the end of, uh, of middle school and ninth grade starts what they call this, the hell weeks or two-a-day uh, football practice. It's like morning and evening, like Spurgeon's devotions. And our, we had our coach, his, his name was Mr. Skinner. And he would stand out there, arms crossed, you know, like he's, you know, he's like bold sides. He's like stands out there, arms crossed, tight shorts. I don't know why he did the tight shorts. He had tight shorts, black hat, and he blows his whistle, and he would just run and run and run, sideline to sideline, sideline to sideline. And he was weeding you out. He was going to drop first, right? And then he had these, I don't know what the point was, except for perhaps giving concussions, these Oklahoma drills. And you would line up and run at each other. I don't know why. But well, you couldn't check it out, and so you just clatter into each other. And then you get towards the end of the season, and the, the, the heat from August would then turn into freezing rain in October, and you'd have these puddles gathering together in the, in the fields. And he'd stop practice a little early, but he's not being gracious. No, line up! Get down. He'd have us rolling through these puddles in the freezing rain, back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And we knew that we were not going to be, well, I was on the team, so you were not going to be the best team, right? But you were going to be the toughest team. And you were going to trust Him. You put yourself to Him, and you trusted Him. And even though it was going to be difficult, you said, whatever you want, okay, that it's going to be done, because we trust you. And it's the same thing that we see here in this in our text today. We come and we, we seek the will of God, my friends, regardless of the cost. Seek 
the will of God and trust it. Seek the will of God and trust it. So how do we see that in our text? Well, in verses, verses 36 through 46, what do we hear? Well, we see here there's Christ and He's in the garden and He's seeking the will of God. And after you seek the will of God, well, good. Well, now what do you do? Well, then we finish out our text here, verses 47 through 56. Well, then you trust. You not only seek the will of God, but you trust the will of God. So the first thing you do is, well, you don't exalt yourself. You just come to terms with the fact that that's not my will. I must not have my will be done. But you seek then, you seek after the will of God and after finding this will of God, we'll talk about, well then you trust it, even though it's difficult. So as we are coming towards the end of this this Gospel of Matthew, as you very well know, we're in this Passion Week, this this final week, right? Jesus has arrived into into that city, and the the praise of the people are far beyond his circumstances, right? They're crying out, Hallelujah, Hallelujah to Christ, while he's there riding on the donkey. And he comes into the gates. And you can hear him. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient, of, o ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in, as you see in Psalm 24. But the people who would read these psalms and rehearse these psalms, they just did get it. As with you and myself, it seems as though there are scales over their eyes and they couldn't see what was right there before them. That was on Sunday, and Adam was preaching on Thursday. We'll fast forward. We're getting to Thursday of, of last week, and it gets to be the evening time, and they're going to celebrate the Passover. So they go into the upper room, and they have their table, right? And there was their custom. They would lay on their left side. And so John is right here to the right of Jesus. And John's on the right because he's John leads back into the breast of Christ. And Judas is then on his left. Right after, right after Jesus was talking about the first shall be last and the last shall be first, what does spot does Judas take? Well, he takes the best spot. He exalts himself and he goes right there because Jesus is able to pass it, pass the sock to him. And then Peter is across the table then from John because they're talking about what's going on. And their feet are, their heads are towards the table and their feet are out and Jesus patiently, kindly, beautifully, goes around and washes all of the feet of the disciples. The ones who would betray Him and the ones who would leave Him. He's washing their feet. And there, Jesus, He passes the dish to Judas and He tells them, Go. Go and do what you are about to do. Satan enters into Judas and he Judas leaves. And throughout the meal, we see this Passover being fulfilled in the beginning of the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate. Beginning. And this is the end now of that meal. Let's go back to the text here, verses 30 through 35. Let's read them. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I, I will never fall away. 
Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples, they said the same. And it was, you see, in, in the Gospel of Luke, that it was, it was his custom, was it not, for Christ to bring his disciples to this Mount of Olives. And he, he takes this opportunity, these solemn moments, and what is he doing? He's teaching them, isn't he? He's teaching them, and he's, of course, he's going to Scripture, and he's, he's reading, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And he's recalling Zechariah 13. And he's showing them what all of Scripture is pointing to. And it's all pointing to what? It's pointing to Christ. It's pointing to Christ. So we, when we look at him, we, we try to read the Scripture, we, we know, okay, God used these men, and we, we read it as though they intended it to be read. We read it under the authorial intent, but these men are carried along by the Spirit, and you see their personalities in it, right? So you see the solemnness of Moses, the passion of David, the, the logical thinking of Paul, or the, uh, the affections of John. That comes through in their writings. But there is one main author, and that is the Holy Spirit. And he has one main point, and that is to exalt Christ. So you go to the beginning, and you have Genesis 3. And what's that about? It's not about the failure of men. No, no, no. Genesis 3 is about the redeeming work of Christ. That the the seed of the woman will conquer the seed of the serpent. Right? And then you go to Deuteronomy 6 and the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. the one. Well, it's not. You keep reading about how to bring the word in your life. Well, it's not about how to have a well-organized family that looks good. No. That's about having the word of God so close that you cherish the redeeming work of Christ. That you have the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That you have Christ himself so close to you. That will be interwoven in every part of your life. So you go to Psalm 2 then, about the nations raging against God. Well, what is that about? It's about the kingdom and the kingdom of God and the king of all kings. That is Christ. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And, and we read these psalms and we go, oh, how glorious this will be for me. No, it's not about you. It's not about God being with you as you go through your trials. That might happen as a byproduct. Yes. But no, it is about Christ and Him being the good shepherd. So you read that and you go, thank God we have a wonderful shepherd I'm in awe of His beauty and His grace. And because of that, perhaps in my circumstance, He will be gracious to me and lead me through this shadow of the valley of death. So all of Scripture, all of humanity, all of history, I pray that all of your life is leading, is pointing to Christ. Right? 
So then we get to Zechariah 13, which Christ quotes here. And, and you go a little bit, uh, just go a little bit earlier into chapter 12. Know the setting of what's going on here. Thursday, Passion Week, and Christ is quoting Zechariah 13. Let's go back up to chapter 12. In verse 10 it says, I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. Right? You should have alarms going off in your head right now. The one they have pierced. And they have mourned for him as one mourns for an only child and grieved bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. You go down then to the beginning of the chapter of which Christ quotes. Okay, so we have one who's pierced. And he's in Jerusalem and they're going to be mourning for him as one mourns for a firstborn son. Here's Christ. Okay, well, what happens on that day? Okay, well, let's begin chapter 13. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What? To cleanse them from their sin. So we have one from Jerusalem who is going to be pierced. And out of this piercing son, this firstborn son, is going to flow the redemption of his people. A fountain to cleanse them from their sin and their impurity. And then you go down to verse 6 and it's, he's going to have wounds on his body. And what? When is, he, when is he forsaken? Well, the wounds I was given at the house of my friends. Here is Christ. All of it. All of Scripture. All of humanity. And then you get down to verse 7, which is right before he, 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 where he quotes here. And it's the justice of God speaking. Right. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me. So here's this one who's going to be pierced, out of whom the flow is going to come for the redemption of his people to take away their sin and their impurity, and he is close to God. He's forsaken by his friends. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones, Zechariah writes, centuries and centuries earlier. Go down to verse 9 here. It says, I will refine them like silver. The, the ones that have been cast away, the sheep that have been cast away. I will refine them like silver and I will test them like gold. They will call on my name. Those who left him will then call on his name. And I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. That's exactly what happens, my friends, right? So you see Thomas. In John 20, what does he declare when he sees the resurrected Christ? My Lord and my God. But Christ continues, as if that's not enough, right? Christ continues then, and he tells, he tells his disciples, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Thus telling them, remember they're from Galilee, and they come down to Jerusalem for the festival. Thus telling them, before you go home from the festival, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Here's the assurance. I'm going to be pierced. I'm going to be, you're going to scatter, but I will be raised from the dead before you get home. And how does Peter respond? Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What? There's no need. 
There is no need for this bravado. There's, he somehow turns this into an opportunity to talk about himself, right? He starts talking about himself and what he can do and what he will do and what he won't do and how great he is. And Jesus, you know, kindly, very kindly, he tells him, well, no, actually you're not that great because before the rooster crows, before morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter, ever confident in himself and his ability, he digs in a little bit further and says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples say the same. So how should he have responded? How should he have responded? Well, having the perfect, the perfect opportunity to declare the glory of Christ, he just heard about the one who would be mourned as a firstborn son coming from Jerusalem, who would be pierced for the sins of the people that take away their sin. But then Christ says, don't worry. I'll be raised from the dead. He has the perfect opportunity to glorify God and to be in awe of Christ and His work. And what? He's in awe of Himself, is He not? But praise be to God, none of us are like Peter. All right? <laughs> we, we respond in awe, right? When we, when we hear of the crucifixion of Christ and the exaltation of Christ, and every week, Kevin and Adam and myself and soon Justin, will, we, we bring to you Christ and Him crucified. That there is this great need because we are so vulnerable, we are so weak, we are so dead in our sins, that God himself must come down and redeem us. That we can't do it, you can't do it, no, but God must do it for us. But thank goodness we we don't exalt ourselves as as Peter does, right? Let me ask you, when's the last time you've heard these truths and they've brought you to tears. Can you do it yourself? Are you so dependent on yourself that you hear about it? Well, okay, that might be nice. I believe it. I can, I can recite it. I can say it. But my affections are nowhere near. When's the last time you've pressed? Here's, the, here's your test. When's the last time you've, you've pressed everything aside? And trusted not in yourself and what you can do like Peter does, but placed everything aside just to contemplate and behold the beauty of Christ. Are you so busy? Are you so reliant on yourself, as was Peter? Look what I can do. That's our natural tendency. And I, I don't say this to heap on guilt as if the answer is to do more. But no, I just want you to see our own natural tendency that we all have. That we rely upon ourselves and exalt ourselves and thus diminish the work of Christ. So, that laid aside. You guys conquered that now, right? So you're not going to exalt yourselves, but you're going to seek now and trust the will of God. So let's go back to the text. You read verses 36 through 46. And Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now he came to the disciples and and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? I will not deny you, right? Whatever it takes, I'm not going to deny you. And here he is, sleeping. First chance he's given. Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink of it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So again, leaving them, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same thing again. And he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And as we're reading this, we are beholding, remember, that we are beholding the second Adam who is in now the second garden. Right? And when we read this, our minds should be whisked away to the first Adam and the first garden. We see this great contrast between them. We know that in the first garden, the first Adam was overcome by sin in the moments of temptation. And they plunged themselves into sin. But not so with Christ. He leaves the eight on the edge of the garden Almost like Abraham leaving his servants behind as he goes up to this mount of suffering with his son. He leaves his, the ape beside and, uh, to the, along the side and then he goes further into the garden with Peter, Andrew, or with Peter, James, and John. The very ones that had witnessed the, the height of his glory and his beauty and the transfiguration, they're now going to be witnesses of the depths of his agony. And how their hearts must have been moved with affection. Right? No, they're, they're like you and they're like me. They're, their spirit is willing, but their flesh is weak. In Christ, here you see this prayer. He comes before the, comes before the Father and He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he goes back to then to the Father a second time, and he says, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink of it, your will be done. goes back then a third time, repeating the same desire and the same prayer. And he knows, he knows that the hour is at hand. And in the shadows of a wine press, Gethsemane is Aramaic for wine press. So he's, in the shadows of a wine press. How picturesque. Seeing the wrath of God open up before him. It's like he's peering off a cliff and he sees it all. This wrath of God for your sin, for my sin. 
That it, it cannot be taken away except by His wrath. Him drinking the cup of God's wrath. And here, you know He's being tempted, right? He's in the garden. You know He's being tempted. And there is, say, three prayers, probably three different temptations going on. You know Satan is there, just like he was tempting him in the wilderness, just like he was tempting Adam and Eve. Does, does God really love you? Here you are, uh, starving in the wilderness. No, you're, you're starving again, Christ. All your friends, your disciples, they've left you. They've, they've abandoned you. They're, they're almost sleeping. Here they are. They love you so much. You don't have to do this. Satan will say, I have, I have another kingdom for you. And we, we hear the same temptations, don't we? What do, does God really love you? Well then, why? Why are you alone? If God loves you so much. Why then, if God loves you so much, why would you have to go through all of this suffering? If He loved you, wouldn't He spare you? But through it all, Christ remains steadfast to the will of God. Not as I will, but as you will. And God, your will be done. So then we ask ourselves, well, well then what's, what's God's will for my life? Right? It's a natural question. What's God's will for my life? And I will tell you that a more foolish question could hardly be asked, quite frankly. It's given to you, right here in His Word. Right? So we drowned ourselves with, with questions relating to things that are just going to burn up in the end, and they're not going to endure. So what do I do for work? So hematology, oncology, radiology, cardiology, I don't know how many more there are, but there's a lot. Which one shall I do? Well, I will tell you that you are much more concerned with your job title than God is. What shall you do for work? Well, you go to work and you are industrious and you create. That is God's will for you at work. So that you can reflect His image as He created on days 1 through 6 and sustains from now on so that we, that's what we do and we glorify God by reflecting Him and Him being the Creator. That's God's will for you at work. Well, whom shall I marry? It's easy. What does the Bible say? Marry a Christian. Marry a Christian. Do not be yoked to an unbeliever, but marry a Christian. And and then wives, submit yourselves to the husband as unto God and husbands. This is your will for God's will for you in marriage that you would wash your bride. You would, you would wash your wife in the water of the word and present her back to God. You have her for a short time that you would present her back to God. He is her daughter that you would present her back to her father, sanctified and pure as Christ does the church. If you're not ready to do that, don't get married. If you are, marry a Christian. It's that easy. That is God's will for you. But, so just overall, what is God's will for us? Well, what does the Bible say? 
We can agonize about it in the garden, but it's given to us. He tells us, be holy as I am holy, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above. Do not seek the favor of men, but rather the favor of God. And do not do anything, don't do anything that might cause your brother to stumble. Whatever you do, whether you eat and drink, whatever you do, do it all into the glory of God. So what is God's will for my life? That is God's will for your life. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That is God's will for you. Don't worry about the things that will just burn away. Consume yourself with reflecting the glory of God in your life, regardless of your circumstances. If you play him out of residency, who cares? Reflect the glory of God along the whole way. If you're at home changing diaper after diaper after diaper, and Lord help me, I'm pregnant again. I'm still not getting this one out of the diapers. Reflect the glory of God. That is God's will for you. Don't be consumed with the things that will just burn away. So we... We trust in, we, we trust in this redemptive work of Christ that we, we won't exalt ourselves, but we will seek the will of God throughout all things. And then finally, the next step is that we must, and this is where it's hard, we must trust the will of God. Let's go back and, and read some verses here out of this, this last chapter. Starting in verse, uh, let's do 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with them a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. The audacity of it all. The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, calls him friend, friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. For the sake of time, let's drop down to 56. But all of this had taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him and fled. You see, at the end, you see the book ends. Of this, of this passage. I'm going to strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. When you get down to the end, the shepherd is struck. And what happens to the sheep? They're scattered. All of the disciples left him and fled. You can still hear the sound of Peter's voice. Right? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny him. And there he goes. So we have Judas here, this, this great antagonist, and he's He's left the meal while Jesus is finishing the Passover meal, which is now Lord's Supper. And as this is going on, Judas goes to then the what would be the, the southwest part of town, and he goes to the high priest, the palace of the high priest, Ananias, and he tells them, I know where he's at. Now's the time. But they have the temple guard, which are like mall cops. They can't really do anything, because the Romans aren't going to let them have... They're not going to... They're, they're not, the Romans aren't going to let him have a bunch of 
well-trained, well-armed men, right? So what do they do? They go back to the, the fortress of Antonia, which is where Pilate would have been. They go to Pilate and say, hey, we need these soldiers. There's this man who's calling himself the Messiah and the king of all kings. So Pilate, this is why Pilate's ready for the trial early in the morning. Because they go to him to get the troops. So they leave the fortress of Antonia and then they come. It's kind of these two tales going on at the same time. You have Christ pouring out himself and then this betrayal going on throughout the city, weaving its way like a snake through the streets of the city. And Pilate hears about it, or he must give approval for the soldiers to be dispatched. And they would have had extra soldiers in town just because of, of the festival going on. And this is also why uh, Pilate's wife would have been kept up all night, because she probably heard about it as well when he goes home and talks to her. So she can't sleep. And then the soldiers come down. And here comes Judas. As Christ is praying for the will of God to be done, it's being fulfilled as these troops leave the fortress of Antonia and are marching towards the garden. And then they come to the garden, which is at the the bottom slopes of the Mount of Olives, maybe several hundred yards to the east of the city of the city wall and the city gates. And Judas has the audacity. He has the audacity. I I can't get over this. He comes up to him, greetings, Rabbi. His heart fully, fully given over into sin. And it seems as though there's a torrent swirling around them, right? But all of this is happening, my friends. All of this is happening under the watchful hand of God. Right? For it had to take place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Thus, the the shepherd is struck and all of the sheep, all of the disciples, they flee. So friends, let us not be deceived. Do not be deceived. As we pray and we ask for the will of God to happen and to come into our lives, it's not always going to be your will. That's why we ask for God's will to be done. So Christ, he's praying for the will of God to come and it's answered by the tramp. Roman soldiers marching towards him. Torches in hand. And he's greeted with someone whom he's invested three years of his whole life. And as with Christ, praying for the will of God to come might lead you down the path of suffering, but... It is not pointless suffering, my friend. This suffering is to make you more like Christ. And for some reason, in the providence of God, it seems as though suffering is the the direct route to beholding the face of God. It will get you there quicker than anything else as you suffer. So you must, in the midst of this, continue to trust in the will of God. So this suffering, then, we've talked about this a year ago, this suffering is then just, it's appealing away of the things of the world. Some of them good. A husband. A father. Some of it's peeling them away so that you might behold the glory of Christ in a way that you might not otherwise know it. 
And so you, you pray for God's will to be done, and here you are, and you're still single, and it's agonizing. And you sit down at potluck, and you go, well, who am I going to sit with? You pray for God's will to be done, and your family is still fractured. Or you pray for God's will to be done, and your body is still wasting away. Or you could be like us, and an ill-fated Monday morning, early, early, early in the hours, you're gathered around a bed with your family, you're praying for God's will to be done. It's a Monday. On Thursday, you're preaching at your daughter's funeral. It's tough. And we're laden with questions, my friends, and I know that, and we have our doubts. And believe me, I know that. But through this suffering that is often painful, God is peeling away the things of the world so that you can behold Christ. And as Paul said, I will stop at nothing to know Christ and Him crucified. So my friends, in the midst of these darkest hours, trust in the redemptive work of Christ. Trust in the will of God. So stop stop exalting yourself that it's about you and what you can do and how great you are. But no, seek the will of God in His Word. Seek the will of God and then trust yourself to it so that you can walk on the path that Christ has walked which will bring you to behold the glory of God that you might see Him face to face. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we um, we thank you that we live in this world of brokenness and chaos, but we know your perfect will is being done. That we might eat a meal with our friends while others are ready to betray us. God, we know Your perfect will is being done. As Paul said, that that all things are going to be united in Your Son. Things on heaven and things on earth. And we don't see that now, but God, I pray that we would trust it. That we can walk through this week. And whatever happens, God, we know that Your will is being done. And for that, God, we are graciously and we are humbly grateful. God, give us the eyes to see Your perfect will and the hearts to follow You no matter where it leads us. Amen.